Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, when St. John wrote, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, he, of course, guided by the Holy Spirit, was then also echoing the words of Jesus. For Jesus had told his disciples on Monday, Thursday, when he was with them, after he had instituted the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. What Jesus did is he laid down his life for you. He died on the cross for you to take away your sin, to forgive you, to save you, and so that you can be reconciled to God your Father, and so that you can receive that free gift of eternal life. As today's gospel indicates, the gift of salvation is available for everyone. In the parable of the Great Supper, Jesus speaks of a man who throws a huge banquet. He invites many people, but those who were invited made excuses, and they were unwilling to come. Undeterred, however, the man sends his servants out to invite anyone his servants can find even the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And after doing this, there is still room for this banquet feast. So the master sends out his servants yet again and tells them to basically bring in the homeless and absolutely any person that they can find, for no one is excluded from the invitation. That is what God does through his gospel that this gospel is for everyone and no one is excluded from the gospel call. After all, John the Baptist rightly said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus went to the cross, he did not just pay for the sins of those who would be saved, but Jesus actually paid for the sins of the entire world for all people, even those who would not hear the saving gospel, and even those who would hear it and not receive it. So Jesus paid for all people's sin throughout all of history. So when you see a homeless person, know that Jesus paid for that person's sin. When you see someone that might be at odds with you, know that Jesus paid for that person's sin. When you see a a a felon or some other person in the news who might be on trial for some heinous crime, know that Jesus paid for that heinous crime when Jesus shed his innocent blood on the cross. Jesus even paid for the sins of blasphemy and suicide, fornication, abortion, rape, and murder. Jesus paid for those sins. But notice what happens in the parable of the Great Supper. Not everyone shows up for the banquet. Not everyone wanted to receive this free gift that was being thrown, that free meal. Many figured that they had better things to do. And so rejecting their gift, they forfeited what could have been theirs. So even though Jesus paid for all sins by all people, that doesn't mean that every person then gets to enjoy the forgiveness of sins because not everyone receives this free gift. When countless souls have heard the gospel, the saving gospel, 
and then they walk away from it. They've learned of his love. They learned that he died for them on the cross to pay for their sin. They learned that they can truly be reconciled to God, their Father in heaven. And yet, for whatever reason, they decide that this gospel is not for them. And so they do not receive the forgiveness that Jesus earned for them. They are not saved. And if they persist in that unbelief and unrepentance, they will be condemned to an eternity in hell. Why do people pass up the unconditional love of Christ? For some, they feel that it is too good to be true. For others, they would rather live lives of the ways of the world. They'd rather be a heathen than be declared a child of God. And for a growing number in our day, in our own land, even in our own community, they have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Many, though, assume the gospel is in their possession when, in fact, it is not. There are countless examples in Scripture which attest to this. In the Bible, we can see people who have wandered from the faith and yet claim to still have the faith. Even though they were church leaders, the Pharisees, most Pharisees did not believe in Jesus. In the Old Testament, God continually sent prophets who to call the wayward back to repentance and faith. And yet, as Stephen rightly reports before he is martyred in the New Testament, every prophet of the Old Testament was persecuted, not by people from outside the church, but people from within the church, those who considered themselves to be believers. Today, there continue to be many who suppose they are Christians they figure they are on the path to receiving eternal life when they are not. For they walk with the world with all of its enticing ways and vanity. They assume that they are children of God even while they do not listen to God, God's word, receive the sacraments, repent of their sin, or seek to amend their sinful ways. This is a danger that all of us must watch out for. We must make sure that we are continually in the word so that we do not succumb to the sinful, enticing ways of this world. For the world is a very powerful preacher. All around us and all the time, the world is teaching us lessons from the media that we absorb so readily to conversations that we may have with our neighbor to experiences that we have. The world is working to shape us and to mold us, to fashion us as not children of God, but children of the world. We often do not realize how much the world is working to constantly indoctrinate us into ways that contradict the word of God. Compare that to the amount of time God is teaching us each week through his word. Now, if we read portals of prayer every day, pray at mealtimes and also at bedtime, and go to church every Sunday, that would amount to about two hours a week in the Word of God. If we add on to that attending a Bible class, then we would be spending <clears throat> about three hours a week in the Word of God. And if we follow the two-year Bible reading plan that's printed in our newsletters every month, 
we don't even have to add yet another hour a week to our weekly time in the Word of God. It takes us about 45 minutes on average to follow that, that two-year Bible reading plan that is on average per week. So now we're talking about, should we do all of that, just four hours a week? And to think, many feel that they don't have this much time to spend in the Word of God each week. The average person spends more time on television or the internet on a daily basis than just than those four hours that we might receive per week in the Word. Now, when we, re, when we resist being conformed to the ways of the world and remain conformed by God's Word, if we spend more time in the Word, the world, of course, will not be pleased with us. The world will mock us and insult us, and the world will even go so far as to hate us. After all, today's epistle begins with some sobering words. It is written in 1 John 3, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, why would the world hate us Christians? A group of people who know the love of Christ and embody his love? Christians who have sought to do many things to help improve the standard and quality of life among people throughout the world? Why would people hate us? Why would they despise us for having received the love of Christ and being reconciled to God our Father? Why would they even care? Well, throughout Scripture, we see examples of the world hating Christians. We have to go back all the way to Cain and Abel. Cain killed his believing brother Abel. The Egyptians put the believers, the Hebrew people, in slavery. And Jesus himself, look at what happened to him. He was nailed to a cross. Even today, we see the world around us hating Christians. Our country was once quite agreeable to Christianity and to Christian values. But as you can see from your experiences in your life, that that is changing rather quickly. Intolerance of Christian beliefs and morals is growing swiftly. Just look at the rage against those who are pro-life in light of the Supreme Court ruling. Why are people so angry that in many states, babies will now be allowed to live? Because many Christians do not want to get caught up in the crossfire, instead of remaining faithful to Christ and his word, they join the world. They pass by on the banquet feast. But God calls on us to be faithful. And when the, so when the world says that we are hateful and bigoted, we bear our crosses. We continue to boldly confess God's truth. But why does the world call us hateful and bigoted, especially when John describes Christians as loving? After all, we love because God in Christ first loved us. We are accused of being hateful when we uphold God's moral law. If we say that marriage is between a man and a woman, we are accused of hate. If we say girls' sports or bathrooms are only for girls, we are accused of hate these days. If we say life begins with conception, we are being accused of hate. And how do our accusers treat us? They don't repay our supposed hatred that they think we have with their love, 
but instead they hate us for what we lovingly believe. And as St. John reminds us, we should not be surprised if the world hates us. In fact, Jesus himself said these things also in John 15 when he was with his disciples on Monday Thursday. Jesus declared, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we carry our crosses as we live in this fallen world. We do not lose sight of why we are Christian, nor do we lose sight of the joy in believing. For by being a Christian, God adds us to his family. He has adopted us into his family so that we are children of God and Jesus is our brother. We are saved from our many sins and we are granted that free gift of eternal salvation. We are loved by God for he laid down his life for us. All of these are blessings that we enjoy, we bask in by being Christian. In response to this love of God, we then love God back and we love our neighbor. And the love by which we use is not some sort of love that we muster or conjure up. It's not some sort of false pseudo love, but our love actually originates in God. We love others when we hold firm to the word of God. So if the church wants a good image, she should not try to obtain that good image through compromising on the truth. For that would be a worldly image and it is playing lip service to tr true Christianity. Instead, if the church wants to have a truly good image, the church must love in deed and in truth. We hold to steadfast to the word of God and our actions are made manifest by our loving actions. Sometimes people think we could attract more people to church if we simply give up on certain biblical teachings so that we can be more like the world. But don't you think more people would be interested in the church if they saw the church's members acting in love? That is, don't you think more people would be interested in the church if they even saw you in your own community active in love? As Christians, we love in deed and in truth, for God himself loves us in that way. God's actions are clear. His word is clear. You have been called to be his own to have the gift of eternal life abiding in you. He has saved you from your sin. He has rescued you from slavery to sin, slavery to death, and slavery to the devil. This was done when Jesus laid down his life for you on the cross. He suffered all so that you can have life and be set free from sin and death. In the waters of holy baptism, you became marked as a child of God, so that you are no longer enslaved to Satan, but you are, you belong to Christ. You have passed from death to life. You are added as a sheep in Christ's kingdom. And he has given you a most excellent banquet feast, a feast of Christ's body in which, in which his body is given into death for you, and a feast of Christ's blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. In this holy meal, in this banquet feast, Christ joins himself to you and he joins Christians to one another. 
The blessed sacrament is a foretaste of the feast to come when you will be gathered with all the saints around the throne of God, celebrating and feasting the great and glorious blessings of God. When you are there, there will only be love, true and perfect love. This love, though, is yours even now, even if the world would hate you. This love is yours because it comes from your loving Lord and Savior Jesus, who died for you. His blood proves it. Your baptism has demonstrated it. Same with the Lord's Supper, that you are his, and therefore you are truly, as the liturgy declares, beloved in the Lord. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Thank you.